I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So two weeks ago on this podcast, I spoke with my former Intercept colleague, Kate Aronoff, who now covers climate and energy for the New Republic. And we talked about her experience covering a major energy conference in Houston called Sierra Week. To give people a bit of background, I don't go to a ton of corporate conferences, but I assume this genre of thing happens somewhat often. But the other night there was to celebrate the 40th anniversary of Sarah Week, a musical put on by Broadway performers who, you know, themselves very talented. Uh, no, no gripe with them, certainly. But the musical sort of told the story of the U.S. oil and gas industry through a series of edited Broadway show tunes, which is exactly as bad as you think it is and much worse, uh, I would I would argue. Uh, I was physically taken aback. The war in Ukraine has renewed conversations in Washington about actually passing a major clean energy package. And Joe Manchin at the conference laid out in some pretty precise detail what exactly he was willing to support and at what cost. Among people following this issue closely, there's now real confidence that a major package might actually get done, even after it was left for dead in December amid a heap of finger-pointing and recriminations. But listening to Manchin outline what he was for and what he was against I realized I wasn't really familiar enough with the current state of the clean energy industry to understand if what he was saying was blowing smoke or serious. He laid out a lot of his thinking at a press conference at Sierra Week, which Kate wrote about for TNR. She also shared audio with us from the press conference. Now, one of the people I've trusted for years on this question of what technology is real is an old friend of mine named Ducky Hune, who I met back when we were both just out of college. His career took a sharp turn about 15 years ago when he got deep into the world of fossil fuel energy conservation and carbon tech. We spend a lot of time in this podcast hovering at 30,000 feet or diving hundreds of years back into history or talking in theoretical big picture terms. But today, I wanted to try to get a handle on exactly what we mean when we say clean energy and what's actually doable in the short, medium, and long term. Ducky Hume, welcome to Deconstructed. Thank you for having me. And so... Ducky, you're founder, right, of Green Cooling Tower Solutions. One of the founders, yes. So to let the listeners in on how, how we put this, this episode together, you and I met, what, 22, 23 years ago long or so. Long time ago, that's very long, Very long time ago in New, <laughs> in New York City. You were dating a very good friend of my girlfriend. Uh, both of those girlfriends have now become our, our wives. Um, and you and I have you know, stayed in touch over the years. And I've, it's, I've been really excited to watch, you know, the, the journey that you've taken in, in different directions, but you've been in, you've been doing this for at least, at least a decade. And prior to this had gotten into kind of clean energy before a lot of people really had any idea what, what clean energy and, and, and not just clean energy, but all of the concomitant reduction of 
of emissions and pollutions around it. So give us a give us a little bit of a rundown of what you've been up to the last uh, twenty years, and also, you know, what is what does green cooling tower solutions do so that as as people listen to your assessment of where we're headed, they'll know, you know, where where you might have your own uh, biases and and where and where you've got your own expertise. Sure. Thank thank you. Yes, it's been a quite a long time, and uh, yeah, our career paths have definitely gone in different directions there. But when I left New York uh, right around that time, probably in 05 or 06, I, I felt like I wanted to get my, uh, my feet on the ground a little bit more to really explore the food, energy, water matrix that really was, you know, really could use a lot of, a lot of improvement. So I, I, I am originally from Louisiana, so I moved back down to raise family, obviously, and, uh, and to explore that with, where I could find a lot of industries located nearby. So that was what drove me here. And uh, around 2012, uh, we, we uh, got a technology. Uh, it's an energy efficiency patent, essentially, that was, uh, we introduced to uh, industrial refiners. And it was uh, mainly just a, a play to get a lot more efficiency out of um, energy efficiency out of uh, out of industrial processes. We've taken that into a lot of different avenues. So we've uh, used that for wastewater treatment. We've used it for uh, evaporation technologies and desalination technologies. And our most recent foray into with using uh, offtake of the technology is, is carbon capture. So it's, uh, it's something that we've been working on for quite some time. So uh, we have been working on kind of the... Uh, uh, the renewable slash waste stream industrial processes. So we've familiarized ourselves quite a bit with how things work and how we can make them better, essentially. And, you know, I enjoy talking about this kind of stuff because being in Washington, it's it's easy to become extremely pessimistic about the future here uh, and and to just not see, you know, much, much hope at all for where this is headed. Uh, but... In the background, as as Washington has been completely, you know, failing to keep up its end of the bargain, you know, there there have been some, you know, serious advances that if if they can be kickstarted, you know, if they can get some federal push, it feels like there's still that there's still a shot. And so, you and I were talking recently about Joe Manchin's appearance at the Sierra Week conference, which is this gigantic Houston energy conference where he talked in specific detail about what he would be willing to support when it comes to a basically a climate package now he he also wants other elements of it he wants to, he wants tax increases on the rich and and major corporations he wants half of it to go toward deficit reduction uh, he wants to do the drug price negotiation piece and then he's fine using the other half of that toward energy but he wants all energy subsidized not just clean energy but there hasn't been much attention focused on how detailed he's been and in going into what he's what he's willing to get behind. And so first of all, this this Zero Week conference. So this is it's not a unique conference. There's a ton of these giant oil industry conferences that happen around the world. You know, I know there's been a pandemic on for the last couple of years, but when you used to go to these conferences, you know, what were they like and, and what was it like coming to them with energy efficiency solutions? Well, when I started going to these, probably uh, 
early 2010s, wasn't a lot of talk about it. I mean, it was uh, a lot of business as usual. So introducing these type of technologies was, uh, was difficult, to say the least. A lot of these industries, and for good reason, just keep doing what they're doing. And that's always been our biggest obstacle, and I'm sure a lot of other companies uh, feel the same, is getting these companies to change what they're doing because what they're doing works to a certain extent. And they've built a lot of big walls for them to keep doing what they're doing, essentially, uh, with legislation, pricing, a lot of uh, regulation. So it's, it's been very difficult. And, and when you say it works, you mean it's profitable for them. Exactly. I mean, it, I wouldn't say it's completely efficient the way they're doing things. And there's, there's obviously a lot of room for improvement, but they make money and, uh, and, and their system works. Yeah. And, and Manchin, and, and we'll get to this later on in the, in the episode, but he even specifically starts talking about these companies. And he's like, if there are proven you know, efficiencies out there that you're not taking advantage of, just because you're too lazy to, you shouldn't exist. It's like a kind of a radical like line from Manchin. And I want to get to that one later, but let's let's start with Manchin's first response to uh, New York Times reporter at, at the conference. Senator Manchin, hi, Lisa Friedman from the New York Times. Um, two questions. Could you tell us where things are on negotiations over reconfiguring the Build Back Better? There is no Build Back Better. Will you, <laughs> Let me would you say, vote on the climate provisions? Let me go in. I, I don't mean that to be sarcastic. That bill was a, was a major mammoth piece of legislation, okay? And the reason I had concerns from day one is that we shouldn't be doing that much policy. Reconciliation was never designed for us to do policy. It was designed for us to get our financial house in order. It truly was. But here we are, changing the whole social, social restructuring of our society. And that was the biggest thing that I had. Okay, there's so many good things in there that we all have aspirations to do. A lot of good things. And but with that, it should go through a process where there's a hearing. It's transparent. It's open to the public. And then we have a markup. We have a markup, and the markup basically is where people put their ideas to make it better or something they think will be detrimental to their area. That's the process we have. We bypassed all that. So I said no. Now what we're talking about now. Is that one thing that all Democrats agreed on was the 2017 tax cuts, the way they were implemented, were weighted unfairly. And it did not basically spin off the amount of revenue we needed to pay down our, uh, our debt. So we're 30, I think 30 trillion 200 billion as of this morning is our debt right now. And it grows every day, every day. You've got to change that trajectory. So I says, if we all agree, and we have agreement on one thing, then use it to get your financial house in order. Basically, get the tax code that's competitive, that's fair, allows us to compete and grow and be prosperous, but pay the bills. And then use revenue from that to pay down debt to get your finances in order. We can still do that. We can still do the one with the drug thing. I said, that's the most popular thing we have. Getting our drugs, we know we can do that. And then we can do maybe an all-in, all-inclusive climate package to some extent. And that basically, they know where I stand. If it doesn't have an all-in policy to where you're treating the horsepower that you need from your fossil, which is coal, oil, and natural gas, okay? And the in investments that we're going to need in the new uh, nuclear reactors, if you will, and also in geothermal, and all the things that we're talking about with our wind and solar and all that, 
you can't just abandon one. And that's what they were doing. I just, I said, I'm not for that. So we'll see what they want to go down that path or not. Can I just ask, how do you reconcile investing more in oil and gas with the IEA that said, if we want to hit 1.5, we need to stop exploration, investment, and possibilities? Well, we need to do it cleaner than we've ever done it before. And we do it. We do produce oil. And we do extract oil. And we do do it better than most any place in the world. So that's Joe Manchin's his own words, laying out kind of the broad contours of his package. And then he says that he wants all the different horses funded. So from your perspective, if Democrats do take this approach, and this seems to be the, it's, it's either take it or leave it, like it's either this or there's, or there's nothing. If there is this across the board, all energy is subsidized, is it still a big win for the clean energy side? Because right now the field is tilted heavily against them. I think it's a win. I mean, anything is a win uh, that supports, uh, you know, uh, an early technology. So fortunately, higher energy cost, high fossil fuel energy cost, it actually helps early technology companies in, in efficiency and alternative energy, uh, renewable energy. It, it really does help us quite a bit because the alternative is, uh, you know, is paying high fossil fuel prices. So we do get a lot more attention when prices are high. So it it does help us quite a bit. I mean, I'm, I'm personally not against fossil fuels. I mean, we, we do help fossil fuels become more efficient. And I, I think that's that's a big key to what he, Mr. Manchin's talking about. I mean, I don't know him that, that well, but I mean, I did listen in to his, his responses here. And I have to agree to a lot of them. I mean, we do have to provide fossil fuels an off-ramp essentially to, uh, to become greener as the renewables and next generation uh, technologies take place. And I think that off-ramp is going to be qu- quite long. Right. And it's a recognition that that is the reality of it. Uh, and so let, let's, he goes into a lot more detail coming up. So let's, let's play the next clip here. With that being said, seeing what's happening in Europe right now, in Ukraine, you know, I think that's a whole difference. It's called global. It's a global market. It's not just the United States market. So, if we go down the path and we exclude all the fossils quicker than the rest of the world is dependent upon, okay? And I've said this, you take us out of the fossil business, there will not be another country that will step up and spend the money for technology and then the research and development is going to be needed to use it cleaner because they're going to still use it. They're going to still use it. And they want to put a, 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 a carbon fee and all you hear all these things, and they want to put basically a border adjustment, a border fee. Not until you have the technology can you justify doing that. The bottom line is, if we have technology that shows you can use certain products, whether it be oil, gas, uh, all and coal, and you're not using the latest, greatest technology to reduce the, the emissions from it, then you're going to pay a price to get into our market. That's how you enforce it, and that's how basically you get the rest of the world to move in and transition. But just think of yourself, don't use it. Go tell Modi that. A couple premises I want to interrogate there. One is, if we move off of fossil fuels, he's saying that there's nobody else in the world that's that's going to jump in and do uh, he's going to do the research and do the investment to to move you know quickly and you know they're going to continue to use fossil fuels until the planet burns or whatever and then secondly he talks about forcing the industry to use the latest greatest as, as he calls it technology so what what do you think of that first premise and what does it take to do the second thing I, I have to agree with him that if the U.S gets off of oil uh, or, or fossil uh, altogether, and the research doesn't support uh, emissions reduction, I, I have to agree that there are very few bodies that could support 
our industries uh, like like the U.S. government could. Uh, I mean, I use a lot of technology and I use a lot of scientists from government research labs. And they, these guys have been doing this for a long time. Some of the smartest guys in the world, obviously. And you, you can't you, you can't get that for free. I mean, that it costs a lot of money and, and it takes a long time to get technologies like that to market. And uh, I mean, we I know some of these technologies a bit. Yeah. And what what kind of technologies? Um, I mean, we're talking about uh, next generation nuclear, uh, you know, fission reactors. We're talking about electrolysis, new way, you know, new efficient electrolysis methods. And what's what's that? What's an electrolysis? Electrolysis is essentially electrolyzing, um, you know, any material. But what we're we're talking about in this in this conversation is electrolysis of either water to create um, hydrogen, and I know hydrogen is a big topic that Manchin's talking about, or electrolyzing carbon dioxide, CO two, essentially to create hydrogen or take it a next step and and to produce uh, carbon neutral fuels out of out of CO two, essentially. So that's been a big uh, area of research and development right now that that's coming to market right now taking co2 out of the air and producing energy with it absolutely yeah so you can there's two methods you could look at there's point source which is essentially capturing at the point of a, of a mission which is like at a power plant or refinery essentially or there's a, a director capture it's just a you know, picking, you know, any piece of real estate and putting up a, a carbon capture plant and just capturing it directly from the air. And you said it's starting to come to market? It is. It is. I believe there's been some um, smaller uh, installations in Europe and Canada that have been piloted. And I know there's uh, another one proposed to be uh, be built in, in West Texas uh, probably next year, which would uh, dwarf, you know, even the largest ones built to date by... Uh, many times over. It's new technology. It's proven, but uh, there, there still will be a lot of uh, room for improvement. I think the price per ton of carbon with with these technologies is quite high. I think uh, everyone's kind of in the race to get the price per ton of carbon, you know, well below what, what these technologies are capable of. Gotcha. All right, let's, let's roll some more mansion. Senator, hi, Clean energy tax provisions in the Build Back Better Act are a priority for the administration, also for electric utilities right now. Is that something that you would support in a standalone climate package? Which one do you want to ask about? Um, <laughs> I guess all of them. Well, first of all, 4,500. That's gone. Okay, that was that was that was just to me. It was just not. It was non-starter. To basically, you know, and I'm I come from Union State, and I support Union and everything I can. But you just can't. Start picking and choosing. You use this product. I said, do you want a cleaner environment? Do you want an EV vehicle or not? Now you're going to start giving favors on who produces it? Didn't make any sense to me. Now, if we're going to get an EV business, we know that's exactly there has to be some incentives. So well, there will be incentives in that to a certain extent if that's where we go. I'm just not putting all, all my eggs in one basket. So whatever I do for EVs, I do exactly for hydrogen. Because I truly believe I'm not going to get caught. As, if I have one vote, to get our country caught in a situation where we're totally dependent on one one direction and one mode of transportation, and, it's, and right now that I know 80, 90 percent is controlled by uh, by China, and the way that they're enslaving people around the world to get the to get the resources they do to re, you know for the refineries, I'm not going down that until. And here's the other thing I would do: I'm also I'm going to put a sunset 
You tell them you're going to do all these things. We're going to start producing in America. We're going to start refining in America. And yet you're still depending on China and, and all the rest of the world to do the heavy lifting and dirty work. But you want the results from that. If we don't start producing ourselves, then those, be, those credits should go away. They should be sunsetted because you're not serious. So if you're serious and you're an environmental community and you're serious, let's get with it. Let's start working together. Don't take me to court every time you don't like what I'm doing. All right. I don't, I don't know exactly what he means about being taken to court every second uh, that you don't don't like resume. But on the electric vehicles, uh, he basically the 4,500 there, correct me if I'm wrong, he's saying that in the original bill, the tax credits, the incentives for electric vehicles were only going to uh, union car companies. Now, under his version, any electric vehicle company would be able to get them, which, and he makes a clean point, which is if you believe that this is a civilization level catastrophic event, you can't hold it up over simply over union wages. Okay, fine. And again, Manchin is Manchin, so he's going to get his way on a lot of this stuff. He talked a lot at this event about hydrogen. Now, I don't know anything about hydrogen. How, how serious is hydrogen as a potential clean energy fuel? Because my, my basic understanding is, is currently it takes a lot of energy to make it. But I'm curious for your read on what the prospects are for hydrogen and why you think he might be so excited about it. Well, uh, obviously, it's getting a, a lot of press these days, hydrogen. It's it's already used every day in, in industrial processes, you know, refining, fertilizer, food processing. I guess the excitement around hydrogen today is, is the ability for it to displace liquid fuels for transportation like gasoline, diesel. I think it's is very promising. I mean, obviously that's that's something we're working on today, but I, I think it's it's more geared towards hard to electrify vehicles like uh, ships, planes, you know, long distance trucks. It's already in use. I mean, you can you can you can find hydrogen fuel stations. Uh, you know, uh, they're lim- limited today, but I, I'm sure they'll uh, they'll expand quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's there today. It's there today. It works, but but you're right. It is. Uh, energy intensive. It really, it really is. And I guess, am I right? It makes use of a lot of current fossil fuel infrastructure. Like, so allow, and he talks later about pipelines. You know, if they stopped moving natural gas or they stopped moving oil, they could, the pipelines could move hydrogen. Is that one of the reasons that the industry is excited about hydrogen, that so much of the infrastructure is already there for it? That's exactly why. I mean, you don't have to buy a new car. You don't have to buy a new ship or a plane if you convert the hydrogen into uh, a liquid fuel, but hydrogen to, to fuel these purposely built uh, vessels with, uh, you know, with engines capable of burning hydrogen, there is some infrastructure there already available. So, you know, hydrogen and CO2 pipelines are, I mean, they're are definitely already underway. I mean, I know there's been a lot of, a lot of infrastructure for CO2, especially, but I know hydrogen's, uh, you know, right behind it. I don't see why government shouldn't greenlight those pipelines right away. I mean, it's uh, maybe it's part of this uh, Defense Production Act. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they uh, they see the importance of CO2 and hydrogen pipelines to, to get the industry moving in the right direction. But going to your first point, hydrogen is um, it's deceptive. I mean, there are different types of hydrogen, different ways to produce hydrogen, essentially. And uh, today, I mean. I'd say over 90% of it is fossil fuel based, so it isn't quite clean. So I mean, uh, I don't know if you uh, 
if you've seen the color matrix of, of hydrogen, but it's a, it's a little confusing because hydrogen is, you know, odorless and colorless, but uh, people have put a lot of different colors to the matrix of hydrogen. So uh, they, they call um, coal and lignite gasification, you know, uh, hydrogen produced by coal and, and, and lignite, gray and black, brown, which is the most common type of hydrogen is uh, used by steam methane reforming of natural gas. So it's uh, not quite clean at all. The big rage now is blue, uh, blue hydrogen. And it's essentially the same as, as brown, but steam methane reforming of natural gas. But they, they put a twist on it, which is they, they capture the carbon produced by that process. So it is, uh, it's better, but it's, it's definitely not, it's not carbon neutral at all. It's, it's much better than brown. And then there's, you know, green, which everyone hopes to achieve, which is using electrolysis, like I mentioned before, to, uh, you know, on water and electrolysis, which is the huge demand on, on power. So if you use electrolysis from renewable energy, it, it turns the hydrogen green, essentially. Gotcha. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, let's let's jump to the next mansion cut where he talks about production tax credits and more on hydrogen and then some on transmission. Right, my question is what are you willing to do on wind and solar transmission and transmission oh, yeah. what, what are you willing to do specifically like if there was a bill that came what, what would you want to do well basically we have a 10-year protection tax, production tax credit on all uh, of these uh, credits that we've been giving and also production tax credits they cut down basically uh, hydrogen to six years from 10 and I'm gonna put it back to 10 if we, if, if we have a bill I'll treat them all the same everyone gets treated the same they want a transmission for us, basically for the Treasury to pay and incur indebtedness on, on, on uh, the amount of money that we build transmission lines. I said, I'll defer, but I'm not going to give you the money because I know how profitable transmission is. You will pay back eventually, okay? But the bottom line is we will stoke the fires, if you will, to build them quicker, to build the transmission because most of the large wind and large solar is going to be in areas that we don't have a large population or network of transmission. So I'm all for those. I'm all for that. And also for the pipelines, basically, that could be retrofitted and reseed for hydrogen lines. We should be looking at that, too. But, you know, because building a pipeline, God, that's uh, a merciful task. You know, first of all, I love the way that he uses the I when you're talking about this legislation that's supposed <laughs> to be written by the House and the Senate. He's like, I'll defer because it's profitable. Uh, but he's not wrong. <laughs> it's it's his call. Um, so okay. So what is what does he mean here though? Um, I don't care too much about this this six year to ten year thing. 
that that feels like in the weeds. But if there's something interesting there, feel free to let me know. But I, I'm curious about when he's talking about transmission. He talks about West Virginia having you know massive wind farms, but also West Virginia being nowhere near people, and so you need to get that energy you know where it needs where it needs to go. So how much of a role does the federal government need to play in in ramping up that capacity? Well, I I really do think they they have to be the lead. I mean, when, when he's talking about the timeframes, I mean, a lot of companies are uh, basing their investment decisions on on that runway. Essentially, if the runway is too short, then obviously that investment decision is is uh, uncertain, right? So oh you, oh, you mean the six to ten? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, when, oh, when, so that is actually important. So it's it's important to get the get the money in off the sidelines because if if it looks like they have 10 years then it's worth investing whereas 6 it might not be exactly okay so, interesting I mean, that's that's very important for on on the investment decisions i mean and and we're talking about large quantity and maybe low margin essentially when a lot of players get into the game so if if it if it's not subsidized you know by the government then obviously um, the, the market forces kind of dictate so a lot of uh, investment decisions are, are based on subsidies in, in, the, in those timeframes. I mean, I know we're, we're talking about these uh, carbon, you know, these carbon credits, essentially with, uh, you know, a 12 year horizon. And um, we'd like to see more certainty in it, uh, you know, or, or extensions, even when you're talking about these projects. I mean, these projects have to be planned long, long in advance. And they have to have some kind of certainty for payback, but or else, you know, I mean, not a lot of people have these kind of pockets to spend hundreds of millions and even billions of dollars on a plant. Uh, so, I mean, you are going to to the banks, and they want to see some certainty in uh, in in the projections. That makes sense. They don't want to be a year or two into getting off the ground, and then the subsidy vanishes because Congress decided to have a government shutdown over like a wall or something. Absolutely. And I think that's a real big obstacle for a lot of these projects to get uh, get kicked off. Right. You just can't trust that, yeah, that it's going to be there. So what about on the transmission side? How, how, how far are we away from where we need to be? We're a lot better than we were when we, <laughs> when we started wind and, you know, wind in these remote areas. Solar was a, a little bit better, but uh, I don't know if you remember wind, uh, we had a lot of wind farms out out in the in Midwest that were connected uh, to essentially nothing. They were essentially on an island, uh, and it took a long time to get you know, transmission connected to you know uh, population centers. So, essentially, what happened was the credits got way ahead of infrastructure. So transmission wasn't connected. Uh, a lot a lot of banks capitalized on the tax credits, but uh, the electricity just didn't get anywhere. But I mean, when when we talk about transmission, you know, benefiting, you know, the future of, of of energy, I think we have to start talking about smart grids, how electric cars can maybe even work both ways, you know, like uh, to supply power when 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 necessary instead of just being parked in the driveway. So I think there's a lot of room for improvement uh, in in that space. It's it's not my specialty, but I think it's really interesting to to know that. Electric vehicles can actually uh, supply power to the grid. You know, if the regulation is there and and the will of the the power company is there to to allow that to happen, because obviously that 
that cuts into their, you know, into their business plan, essentially. Right. Uh, okay, the next cut is him talking about pipelines. I'm also for the pipelines, basically, that could be retrofitted and resleeved for hydrogen lines. We should be looking at that, too. But, you know, because building a pipeline, God, that's uh, a merciful task. My question is really on solar and wind. Solar and wind, I'm all, I support it, trust me. I'm in West Virginia, we have one of the largest wind farms, you know, east of Mississippi, and, and I'm all for wind, I'm all for solar. But it can only do so much right now. I mean, in storage, I'm all for storage. We're looking at that. We're putting a lot of money in research and development for technology for storage. I'm, I'm, I'm supportive of all of the above. I just don't want to put, be counting on something until I see it's there. I guess that's it. Yeah, so wh- where are we when it comes to storage and wind and solar capacity? Well, storage is is, is tricky because there's there's not a lot of big options in, in the utility space, utility scale storage. I mean, uh, there's there's obviously pump storage, but you know, there's limited uh, limited places you can you can use that um, essentially using unused energy, you know, maybe, you know, renewable, hopefully, or, or, you know, or next generation nuclear, something that's, uh, that might not be uh, used, you know, during certain hours of the day, and pumping it, you know, way upstream, you know, into elevation, and just essentially uh, building a hydro dam, essentially to, to use the energy when necessary. So that, that's the only very large utility scale storage option that's been used to date. I mean, I know batteries technologies are, are come a long way. Um, but as you see with the, you know, the metals crunch that we're having because of, uh, you know, the, this Russia Ukraine situation, there's some uncertainty there too. And obviously, uh, you know, metals are, are expensive and um, you know, even the largest lithium storage facility, you know, could only power the nearby city for, you know, a, a matter of minutes so we're not, we're not quite there with battery storage. And so let's jump to the last mansion clip where he talks about uh, methane flaring. We're going to require crackdown on flaring and methane emissions and any accountability. Anytime there's technology, and if technology is proven, okay, and you don't use technology, then shame on you. Go out and you should be out of business. If you're, if you're basically not using the technology that has been, has been proven into the fill, it will reduce the emissions. And you won't use it because of the bottom line and the profit, you shouldn't be in business. I have no problem there. But on the other hand, there's a transition that goes on. I'll give you a perfect example. Back in the Clean Air Act, I come from coal country, where we come from, and the bottom line was we were switching. They did coal switching at first until the scrubbers came online, low NOx boilers and diagnosis for mercury. Then we were able to. You had met. If you didn't switch in a, in a period of time, you were out. And we shut down a lot of the older plants. And basically with flaring right now, let's build the pipelines. Let them build the pipelines. It takes the methane off in the gathering points. That's what they tell me that if I'm wrong here, you all might know more than I know about that. But that's what I hear from the field. They can't get the pipeline to take. And so they're getting condemned for the flaring and the emissions that come. And, but now I hear from large drillers from our horizontal, you know, in, in the east anyway, in West Virginia, and the big Marcellus and Hugh Cashel. Uh, they're capturing methane. They have not a bit of problem. Those, you know, but you know, we just I just think that you know we ought to be able to, as government, be very clear in our in our regulatory agencies 
of what we expect you to do and why we expect it. If it makes sense because there's technology and here's how you do it better, I should be working with you, not against you. Now, once I go out the first time and say, you made a mistake here, you're doing it wrong, here's how you have to change it. Every 90 days you start changing this. I come back for the second visit and you haven't, I'm going to find you. The third, third visit, I'm going to shut you down. Well, simple as that. That's how I govern my own that's the uh, that's the radical mansion I love to hear. Uh, he's going to shut you down if you're not using the technology that exists just for your just for your bottom line. But what does he what does he mean when he says that these drillers are doing methane flaring because they don't have the pipeline capacity? And and is this something that Build Back Better was was supposed to address? I mean, clearly, it, if it's written by Mansion, it will. Uh, but what what's he talking about basically? Yeah, so um, this is actually something that that we worked with uh, many years ago uh, with with the trap gas uh, in, in you know, upstream uh, oil and gas production. You have to see, you have to think of these places being very remote, and if there isn't a large volume of of gas to be you know sent via pipeline, it's not very efficient to transport it either by truck or you know other means by storage. Essentially, so it's it's essentially trapped gas, so it's it's not cost effective for them to to transport it unless they do have a pipeline and they they haven't built it these pipelines to these very remote uh, you know these very very remote wells just because of the cost. So it has become a big problem just because the wells have gotten bigger, they've been more remote, and we drilled more. It's it's a big uh, big problem. I mean, if you've ever flown into Midland, Texas, I mean, uh, you would think the city would be millions. The the lights would be reflective of a, of a city that might be in the millions, but it's essentially just flares in the air, right? So it it looks like a big city. That's all it is. Yeah. So it's trap gas. It's not cost effective to move it, but uh, you know. Maybe the, the the price of natural gas stays at a level where it's it's feasible for them to uh, to build the pipelines um, you know that they haven't built already. It's it's obviously the re- the reason that it hasn't been built obviously is because the you know historically natural gas has been you know relatively cheap. I mean just this last month was you know a major spike, but for them we weren't talking about uh, you know natural gas being very expensive since uh, you know the Enron days. You know, from early two thousands. Right. So, why are they burning it? Why don't they just leave it in the ground? Like, what? It, what am I missing there? Well, it comes up. It comes up with the oil, right? So the oil is is they have the oil pipelines. So the 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 methane comes up with the oil as well with the you know other materials. I mean, there's produced water, methane, and oil. So they separate it and essentially pipeline the oil. To the refineries or to you know to the ships, but the methane, they still haven't figured out the methane problem. So I mean we have worked with them and they they do have a few smaller solutions to use the methane in in production in some ancillary processes that they might use on site. But uh, yeah, they they just haven't found the, the cost benefit analysis to to work out to build the pipelines to these remote facilities for just gas. And and methane, correct me if I'm wrong, is what, a hundred times more potent a greenhouse gas than carbon, but it moves out of the atmosphere faster. What is how 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 bad is this? Like when you fly into Midland and you see those lights burning, are you like, oh God, we are so screwed? 
Well, it's it's discouraging uh, to say say the least. I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's very discouraging because there are ways to use the the trap gas uh, for other purposes. I mean, uh, not only does does West Texas have have a gas um, a methane problem, but they have a water problem as well. So we're trying to find ways, and I'm sure we're not the only ones trying to do it to to solve a lot of problems with with the same solution. So it's discouraging because I know there are things that can be done to you know kind of to take care of a lot of solution a lot of problems with the same solution. Uh, so I mean, the methane. So there's I, I don't I mean it, not a lot of talk about it, but many years ago, maybe not that many, maybe you know five or six years ago, Oklahoma and West Texas had a had a big problem with with earthquakes. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. I do remember but, that. Uh, it was it, it was you know daily earthquakes i mean small you know small small earthquakes but a lot more frequent than than ever before and what the problem was was not not the the fracking not not the the drilling exercises but it was wastewater disposal they were actually injecting wastewater that came up with the oil and gas uh, in these production wells and uh, injecting it into dry wells or 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 spent wells, uh, whichever wells they they could, you know, feasibly truck it to uh, the water and, and just pump it down hole. So they were actually pumping at such a velocity and, uh, and pressure, uh, volume and pressure, that it lubricated the tectonic plates. Jeez. So that's that's what created the, the all the seismic activity. And, uh, I mean... A lot of a lot of companies in, in the industry don't talk about it, but it, I mean, there was a direct correlation. So as soon as they limited the the uh, the pressure and the and the volume of these disposal wells, the seismic activity you know re- reduced quite substantially. So uh, not only do they have that that problem with disposal water, but they have a, they have a groundwater problem too because they're using so much water to in, in the production in, in, uh, to get the, the oil and gas out. So it's uh, it seems like it, it would make sense for them to use all the energy, which is the methane to, uh, to, to clean the water. And I know there are a lot of companies that are, are working on that, that problem right now, not, not just us. Gotcha. We, we're taping this on Thursday. It, uh, we just reported, my colleagues, Noska Renner and Austin Alma just reported that the Biden administration is drafting an order that would invoke the Defense Production Act. It's not clear if they will I- implement it, but they're they're drafting it and we obtained a copy of it that would basically kind of use this 1950s era law that would say that we're in a crisis and we're going to use the Defense Production Act to secure uh, mining access to to the minerals and the elements needed for clean energy. How, how useful is that given that so many of the elements are actually outside of the United States? And how, how, you know, so where, where, do, where are we going to get the different ingredients that we need for this clean energy revolution? Well, I mean, I know given the circumstances, I mean, with, with Russia, Ukraine, Russia does, you know, is a large producer of metals but not quite the metals that that everyone would think of that that you know they're they're definitely not the one of the largest lithium producers they are a large producer of uh you know say nickel which is you know uh 
very important for batteries and, and stainless steel. But, you know, a lot of other ones are that they produce, you know, maybe not as important for electric vehicles in particular. But uh, I would guess that uh, lithium production, which is mainly Australia, South America, could come to the United States. I mean, lithium is, is pretty abundant in, in nature. Uh, you can even extract it from seawater. Uh, there, there are a lot of companies um, that are, are looking at extracting it from from wastewaters and 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 waste streams, essentially. So uh, so it is pretty abundant. It's just in in, uh, in different streams. It's it's in lower quantities, lower percentages. So there's you know it it really depends on how much you how much overburden um, you have to get through to get to the lithium. And how how energy intensive it is to get there, but I've seen a lot of uh, a lot of promising technologies for uh, uh, lithium production in the United States. And so, as somebody who's in you know right in the heart of this industry, where are you on the hope scale that we're going to be able to come out of this with a sustainable future for our children, our grandchildren, and and, and their children? <sighs> It's it's really hard to to look that far into the future, but I mean I I think I think it's it's very feasible. I mean I, I see technologies that that uh, are working today at pilot scales and and in small scales that might be ready for you know large scale um, production maybe in three to five years that can really change the landscape uh, of what we're doing now, but that doesn't mean that they'll be adopted. By any means, which is you know the the whole problem with introducing new technologies. I mean, it, just because it works. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. doesn't mean that it, you'll be financially successful. And, and that's probably been true with a lot of people, you know, uh, that, that, that came before me. But I am, I'm, I'm optimistic that you know, this next generation nuclear can, can make a big, a dramatic change for, for power generation, obviously. So uh, I see that we can do a lot of things that can use renewables, but we still need something like like a nuclear to be reliable enough for these companies to build these plants in, in, in certain locations, you know, for, for a reliable power source. 
say maybe it's maybe we're not talking about refining and and um, you know and and fossil fuel type companies anymore that depend on this energy. Maybe we're talking about uh, carbon capture plants that use a lot of electrolysis. You know, you know, a few years from now, maybe these next generation nuclear plants are built just to power carbon capture plants and to get you know that that'll really get us to to carbon negative as quickly as possible. So I'm 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 optimistic that the technology is there. We just have to make sure that there's enough support to get us to viability and, and financial success. Well, I guess that's up to Joe Manchin. Uh, Ducky, thanks so much for taking some time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. That was Ducky Hume, CEO and Director at Green Cooling Tower Solutions, and that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. This episode was produced by Jose Olivares. Our producer is Zach Young. Laura Flynn is our supervising producer. The show was mixed by William Stanton. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com give. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to also check out Intercepted as well as Murderville, which is now in its second season. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. And please go leave us a rating or a review, or both. It helps people find the show. If you want to give us additional feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you soon. <laughs>